0: Thank you for listening to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. Today's homily from Ascension Sunday comes from Father Paul Koska. To support the Servants of Christ Jesus, please visit scjesus.org. Uh, but one of the things I think that is a consolation at the beginning of this homily and uh, the celebration of the solemnity of the Lord Jesus ascending into heaven, um, is the fact that some things change and some things remain the same, and not in the sense that we don't change, but the fact that the Lord is faithful, that the Lord uh, loves us, and that the Lord reigns. In the beginning of the first reading that we had today, uh, the Acts of the Apostles, it's the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus did and taught. Theophilus in Greek literally means uh, beloved of God or one who is loved by God. I mean, so this, the Acts of the Apostles is addressed, I assume to somebody who's actually named Theophilus, but additionally, it's through that individual person who we assume existed, that it also is addressed to all of us who love the Lord of us who love the Lord and are loved by the Lord, and because it literally means beloved of God, not so much focused on the fact that I love God, but I'm loved by God. And so we are beloved of the Lord, um, and so that's something that never changes. Um, the other consoling thing about the fact that we read Acts of the Apostles is the Acts of the Apostles is sort of crazy. I mean, it's a lot of interesting stories. But it's sort of the gospel of the apostles. But more than just being the gospel of the apostles, if you will, it's primarily the gospel of the Holy Spirit. Because the instruction that Jesus clearly gives at his ascension is that he instructs them to wait. He instructs them to wait. To wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, to wait for the promise of the Father who will then empower them. Uh, For what he has commissioned them to do. And it's to make clear to them and to us that the fruitfulness of our lives, the effectiveness of the words that we speak, whether it be a one on one encounter that we have with somebody, a testimony that we give, that the fruitfulness of it ultimately flows uh, from the Holy Spirit and not simply from our intelligence, our wisdom, our good looks our charm, whatever gifts that we have, uh, it's not so much about that, but about the fact that the Holy Spirit that has been poured forth upon us, because God is the one who establishes us in Jesus. This is why at the beginning of Ephesians today, St. Paul prays that the Father would enlighten them, that their eyes of their hearts would be opened into where you get the Son. Open the eyes of my heart. Oh. You've heard of that song. That, that's in, in scripture. It's not just a weird thing that we sing. Um, but he says that the eyes of our hearts will be opened. And then he, says, he describes the three things that we might experience or know. He says the hope belonging to his call, the riches of the inheritance in the saints, the second thing, and that we might experience the greatness of, of his power for us who believe. So hope belonging to his call. Hope in the fact that the Lord calls us and chooses us. That, again, the pressure of trying to be faithful to Jesus, of following the commandments, of trying to love the Lord, is rooted in the fact that he has called us, he has chosen us. And so we can hope in him, and not just in ourselves, and our own interior resolve that we might have. So there's a consolation um, in that, that we have a hope that belongs to our calling, and that the burden, in a sense, is on the Lord and not on us. The other thing is that St. Paul prays that the Ephesians might experience the richness of the inheritance in the saints. And the idea is that we have been given a gift from the Father, this inheritance This inheritance of the gift of the Holy Spirit, but also the inheritance of dwelling forever in the house of the Father. And so we can uh, be consoled by that in the present time. The cool thing about this inheritance, you don't have to wait for anybody to die, right? Because Jesus already died. Um, Jesus died for us, and so the inheritance has been given to us, poured forth through Jesus' death and resurrection. And then finally, that we might know the greatness of his power for us who believe. And the greatness of his power could be in a lot of different areas. Um, The greatness of his power to free me from something I'm struggling with. The greatness of his power to transform the life of somebody that I love, that I may be worried about, that I might even be despairing about. The fact that the Lord has power, the greatness of His power, is available to us who believe, and that for us who believe it is an essential line, because our faith is instrumental in us receiving, but it's also instrumental mysteriously in other people receiving. I um, mean, you know, the just the idea that our prayers have real power is is a mystery, uh, but it's a great gift that the Lord allows us to share. St. Paul also describes how Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the head of the body; all authority has been given to him. He is the one who is leading and guiding. He has command authority. You know, If you're talking about military things, right? Command authority is Jesus has. He's the one that's leading the mission. He's the one that's giving the guidance. And in the gospel, we hear uh, all power or. Another way to translate it is all authority has been given to me. So in Greek, there's two different words for one for like power, like uh, uh, a sign of power, like a miracle of Jesus. Uh, In the Greek is like dynamis, which is like where we get dynamite from. So that has to do with just, like, sheer, like, energy power or, like, you know, brute force power, like, you know, Carl working out power, right? That's dynamies. But the, the word that is used in the Gospel of Matthew, when it's, when it's translated authority, power into English, it has a, more of a sense of, like, authority as a positional thing, like authority of being a king or authority of being a CEO or whatever. And it has this idea of authority connected with one's office. And so the idea is that Jesus doesn't just have, like, physical power, physical strength. He has authority in his body. He has authority uh, in commissioning the disciples to go to the ends of the earth, right? Because if all authority is given to Jesus, then when Jesus commissions the apostles to go to the ends of the earth, they can be confident that the Lord who has all authority, is sending them. And so even though a place might be foreign, it's not actually foreign because it's the Lord's. And so wherever we go, wherever you're going after you graduate, is not foreign in a sense to you because the Lord is already there. The Lord goes before you. And so there's this mysterious confidence we can have even though we don't exactly know how everything's going to work out. And that's part of the frustrating thing with Jesus today. Like the disciples asked Jesus,
1: when, it, when
0: are you going to restore, when is the, is the kingdom going to be restored right in Israel? When are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus doesn't answer their question. He says, it's not for you to know the times uh, for this to happen. So he doesn't answer their question the way that they want. He doesn't give them all of the information about what's gonna happen in their life. And if you've been to, has anybody been to Rome before? No. Sweet, so if you've been into um, St. John Lateran, the Cathedral Church of Rome. Have you been there? Dude, that's like, it's one of the four major basilicas. Anyways. Maybe I did like that. So if you haven't been there, you need to go there. Um, but it's the Cathedral Church of Rome. So St. Peter's Basilica is not right. the cathedral, but the actual cathedral, St. John Lateran. Uh, not super far from St. Peter's, but it's like probably 20 minutes or so. Anyways, in that church is all of the apostles. And the statues of all of the apostles is like the instrument by which they each of them died, right? So you have like St. Paul... And the, and the sword. You have Peter, he's holding the you know, crucifix thing upside down. You have one guy who's holding his like, skin in his hand because he got like, uh, skinned alive. Flayed, I think. Not filleted, but flayed. Um, and so you have these different ways. So if Jesus had told them right then, like, hey Peter, you're going to get crucified upside down. Hey, you know, Bartholomew, this is what's going to happen to you. Like, they might have been just totally freaked out not really been willing to do whatever Jesus is calling them to do. So Jesus doesn't reveal how each of them is going to die to each of those individual people. He doesn't describe the sufferings and the joys that they're going to experience, but he tells them what he is commissioning them to do. He tells them what they need to do, and then everything else is sort of secondary to the core mission that has been entrusted to them. And what is the core mission that Jesus gives to the disciples? He says, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so, Jesus has commanded them to go and make disciples, which has a number of different aspects to it, and to baptize those people. So at least with Jack, I've been successful. I baptized him and I've tried to teach him some. Um, I haven't gotten to baptize that many other people, uh, so that's somewhat concerning. But, um, but the core thing, right, because everybody else in here was already baptized before I met them, was what does it then mean to make disciples in addition to actually physically being baptized? Now I would propose that there's a few different things that's cr- uh, uh, important for us to do in order to make disciples, right? So if we're already disciples of Jesus, then how do we go about making disciples? The first thing I would propose to you um, to consider if we're going to make disciples is that we have to live our life in such a way, and I've said this before, we have to live our life in such a way that your life is worthy of being followed. So you have to live your life in such a way that it's worthy of being followed. Because the opposite of that, not doing that, you're discouraging people from following Jesus. You're discouraging somebody from being a a disciple of Jesus. doesn't mean that you have to be perfect, right? But when we live in like utter contradiction to what Jesus is saying, and we say one thing and do the exact opposite, it's completely irritating to people and and just super frustrating. We've all experienced this in different ways in our life where somebody has done something And then said the complete opposite. Like I I I might have told this story before, but when I was in high school, the person who, you know, was the students against drunk driving people was like, you know, partying all the time and drinking lots of alcohol. It's like just really weird. You know, it's like, why why are you doing this? Why are you the head of this organization when you're living in complete contradiction? Now, I don't know if he ever drank and drove, but I do know that he was drinking a lot. And so there's a sense of contradiction when we don't live our life in such a way that we're worthy of being followed. And that effectiveness of that guy running that organization was emptied by the fact that he was not living uh, in conformity with what he was proposing to others. So we need to live a life in such a way that we're worthy of being followed. Second thing about making a disciple is that we're hopefully forming being formed in prayer and reforming others in prayer ourselves that's the most important thing right for me to learn in some fashion how to uh, to pray because at the end of the day I can know many things I can be instructed about specific facts about the faith different things in the history of the church but ultimately I'm invited to come to know the Lord himself that's the end purpose of following Jesus is to know him, to be his friend. And so we're invited to help others to do that. And one concrete way is simply sharing the word of God with another person. Um, It's one concrete way to help somebody else grow in prayer. And then to ask them about their prayer, and then point out things that are helping them to pray, and then, you know, point out things that are obstacles to them praying so we want to help to form others in prayer if we're going to be making disciples of others. The other thing that we're called to do if we're going to make a disciple of someone else is they need to be trained in virtue. Sometimes that training in virtue requires renunciation, renunciation of past vice. Sometimes it's praying uh, for healing for that person. And then it additionally, so it's, renunciation and healing, and then encouraging the person as they seek to pursue virtue. So we need to heal and sometimes renounce past vice, but then in the present moment, we're encouraging one another uh, towards virtue. Then the fourth uh, thing is, if we're going to make disciples of other people, Jesus tells us that we're supposed to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And so, there's obviously an aspect of teaching that's part of forming somebody as a disciple. And so, our main thing that we're trying to teach the person is the Word of God and the teaching of the church, as is summarized in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Those are the two sort of obvious gifts that we have in our own time that are very available to us the Bible and the Catechism. And so, As we, if we're trying to help somebody to grow in knowledge of the faith, or if we're trying to help ourselves sometimes, we always want to go back to those two things. Um, And one just sort of random piece of advice. The Australian version of the catechism of the Catholic Church is like pocket size. So if you're ever looking for every other like, you know, catechism that's in English is like pretty big and not super convenient, but the pocket catechism published by the Australian bishops. Is very easy uh, and Franciscan University bookstore sells it here in the States and I'm sure other people do uh, so I encourage you if you need a midget catechism check out the Australian uh, the Australian Catechism so whenever you go wherever you go in the world like if you're getting ready to move after you graduate or whether you're going on a deployment or whatever it is the two things you should always have with you is the Bible and a catechism you know that even if you Like reading other things, if you're going to be gone for a long time, just make sure you have those two things because those can be the two anchors for you. And then everything else is, is, you know, a cherry on top, right? But we need to have these two things, you know, close to us um, as a resource for ourselves and for others. And then lastly, uh, we form disciples in the context of a community. And the idea, right, of even the idea of the Acts of the Apostles is the fact that the Acts of the Apostles does not, is not the title of it is not Acts of Paul or Acts of St. Luke or Acts of Alice or Acts of Alex or, you know, whoever, right? It's, it's not about one individual person. It's about the apostles. It's about the community of the apostles. And so we're invited in the midst of that in the midst of this example of the acts of the apostles, to be like the apostles and to realize that we're part, we're members of the one body of Christ. Um, That God wills us to live life and to follow him in the context of community, unless you're called to be a hermit. Mm -hmm. And if you're not called to be a hermit, you're called to community. And, And even a hermit is mysteriously called to uh, communion with the Lord and with the saints. But everybody else other than a hermit, right, has this call to communion with others. And the challenge right now that we face is we're basically being encouraged, reasonably so, to socially distance ourselves, right? To distance ourselves from others, which is something we need to do temporarily But social distancing is not like the end goal of life. The goal of life is communion with other people, and we might have to physically distance ourselves for a time during the unresolved part of the pandemic. But ultimately, the Lord is not calling us to distance, but to closeness. He's not calling us to separation and isolation, but to communion with each other. And so we're invited to live that in the way that we can right now, and then to be intentional about it for the rest of our life. And then lastly, we're called to confidence in Jesus because Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, that he will never abandon us. He will never abandon you. He will never forsake you in the midst of opposition in the midst of persecution, in the midst of being misunderstood by others, in the midst of sickness of people that we love and care about, in the midst of joy, in the midst of glory, in the midst of happiness, in the midst of success. Whatever we're experiencing, the Lord promises to be with us. He will never, ever abandon us. And so may we have the grace today to continue to follow Jesus. To continue to follow Jesus, and I would close with this story. Um, there is a, a friend of mine, a guy named Adam Robazali, who I went to college with, and last time I think I saw him was like in 2013, uh, right before, either right after, right before we were going to Israel. Right after I got ordained, uh, we got to see him in Los Angeles, and he randomly like texted me this week, you know, because he had listened. To some podcast i can't remember i don't know if it's the israel one or some other podcast but he listened to the podcast and reached out and just said like hey just want to let you know that my family is praying our daily rosary and divine mercy chaplet for you and the community Now i was like super consoled by that right because i didn't know i i didn't know where adam was in the world i didn't know how many kids he has right now I had last seen him, he had one, now he has three. But I had no idea that somebody was praying for me, you know, in California. Uh, and so it was just a consolation to know that people are praying for you, and you don't even know that they're praying for you right now. People have offered sacrifice for you, and you don't even know that they've done that. I mean, people have been praying for you since you were small, and. You won't maybe know about their prayers till you get to heaven. And so just remember, it's not just that the Lord will never abandon us, but people, good people, will never abandon us either. There will always be people in your life. Uh, Even if they're far away, they will be praying for you, uh, interceding on your behalf. And so may we have the consolation uh, to, on occasion, know uh, the consolation of the Holy Spirit, the intercession of others. So we can walk faithfully closer and closer to Jesus.